This week's guest is Raven Dales, who joins us from beautiful Shawnigan Lake on Vancouver Island. Raven got her start in the industry over a decade ago while studying culinary arts and working at restaurants in Vancouver and Victoria. At the same time, Raven also studied through the WSET program to get a better understanding of the relationship between food pairings and beverages. After spending several years in the back-of-house environment, Raven eventually transitioned to the front-of-house and bartending. Raven has competed in several bartending competitions such as Diageo World Class, Speed Rack, Made with Love and Negroni Week, just to name a few. Raven has developed the bar program at numerous bars, and she is now currently the bar manager at the Lake House in Shawnigan. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. With me, as always, is Dan. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> Still awesome. No real Still, complaints. Yeah, that's yeah, not that's the good. usual pile of bullshit, but no, all good. How's things going with you? Things are good. No complaints. Busy. Um, yeah, how was how was the month of January business wise? January was surprisingly good. I am shocked. It's probably the best January on I can remember, which is amazing. Um, I don't know if it's just that people are finally happy to be out again or whatever, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty was. mild January too, which makes it, it a little bit easier to go out because we only really had two cold days and that was this past friday saturday right and we were busy those days too though so really yeah oh, wow. i can't explain it but i'm not complaining yeah, that's good yeah uh aside from that things are solid like getting into february we'll see how that goes now you mm-hmm. but at least one solid month already we will take it yeah um recording's been a little sporadic lately because uh you've been jet setting uh, yeah. we had the holidays and uh <laughs> then we had a Couple like one or two cancellations, yeah. last second cancellations. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, first world problems. It is. Goes. Yeah, things things happen. But yeah. I think we should be back mostly on schedule. We got a couple of weeks off coming up, but generally, as always, we'll be in your feed Monday, four p.m. Eastern Standard Time is when Correct. it drops. To make sure you don't miss any, you should subscribe to the show, the Industry Podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, and you should rate and review the show as well if you can. That helps a great deal. Let's talk about Zach Hanna and the great work he does. Mm-hmm. He is the man who's behind our Instagram page, all the beautiful art you see there. ZachHanna.co for all your graphic arts needs. And he spells his name Z-A-K for Zach. Yeah. Not Z-A-C-H. So That's right. And also you can just find the link in our show notes as well. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, if you want to be a guest on the show, it's uh, info at the industrypodcast.club. Also, that's the place to hit us up if you'd like to... Support the show by way of advertising. Uh, you can also reach us directly, DM us the industry podcast on Instagram. That's another great way to get a hold of us. If you're in Kitchener Waterloo, let me tell you mm-hmm. about a couple of cool spots to go. I own a couple of bars in Kitchener Waterloo area. One is Sugar Run Downtown Kitchener. That's the speakeasy. It's a Sugar Run bar on Instagram to check out what's going on there at all times. We also have a Babylon Sisters Wine Bar and Spirits, Uptown Waterloo, Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram to find out what we're doing there. We are flipping our kitchens at both spots coming up starting in March. Former guest on the show, James Frangos, will be taking over at Babylon Sisters. So check out what he he also does a pop-up kitchen there during the days that now. Um, it's Tuesday to Saturday, 11 to 3, Harper's Deli for awesome sandwiches. And now he'll be taking over the kitchen at night as well. And we're excited to see what the menu that he puts together. Downtown, for people familiar with the area, 
former Rainbow Caribbean restaurant in downtown Kitchener, unfortunately, was a COVID victim. That was one of my favorite restaurants over the last two decades. Well, let me tell you something. Clue, who was the proprietor and the head chef at Rainbow, is now taking over the kitchen at Sugar Run. So you can come there for all the amazing shit he was doing at Rainbow is now being transferred to Sugar Run. So those are things to look out for. DJ Bane every Friday night at Babylon Sisters as well. I don't know. Anything else I need to plug? No, I think you I think you covered it all. I think, you, I think you put everyone to sleep. That's it. The show's over, folks. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. And no, of course, we have an awesome guest as usual. Ravendales is joining us from, I'm going to fuck, Shonigan in British Columbia, which is just a little bit north, I guess, of Victoria. On Vancouver Island. On Vancouver Island, right. So, Raven, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Thank you very much for joining us. Getting and, by. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. So you are actually recording right in the restaurant that you work, which is the Lake Shore in Shonigan. And uh, Raven just gave us the a Lake little... House. Oh, Lake House. Sorry. Yeah. That was my That's bad. Okay. The Lake House. So yeah, people should be checking that out. Uh, she just gave us a little virtual tour and it is stunning. So definitely go, if you're in the Shonigan area or just on Vancouver Island at all, maybe go check her out. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what's the weather like this time of the year generally out there? Because I can obviously see no snow in the background there. So I'm just curious. Well, um, it's kind of been all over the place today. It's been uh, sunny and then it's rained and then it stopped rained and then it's been sunny. So it's been a mix of that. Um, we did have some snow in December and then uh. we, it was for about a week or so. Um, and then we had a little bit more snow. I think it was last week, but it's oh, okay. already gone. Yeah. Winter normally in BC in general is just rain. A lot of rain. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that's a. I was. We were sort of chatting before we started recording that I was uh, up there not too long ago visiting a friend of mine, John Goldsmith, who was also a former guest on the show. You can check out all that stuff in our archives. Uh, and we went to a bar that you used to work at, the Wind Cries Mary. Yeah. Yeah. That's was a great spot. Yeah, it was amazing. One thing I did notice about when I was in uh, on Vancouver Island, just you know, I guess it was back in uh, October. It's almost like. The pandemic never happened there. <laughs> no, it definitely happened there. No, it's just yeah. that everybody is so happy to be able to go out and socialize and, you know, just be around people that it, it does feel like it hasn't even happened. But it definitely happened in Victoria. Oh, okay. um, quite a few places shut down, uh, unfortunately. Um, and we're, yeah, victims to, to COVID. And, um, but, at the same time, there were a lot of new restaurants that came out of it. Um, a lot of people, you know, ended up leaving the hospitality industry and finding jobs elsewhere, which, again, didn't really help with restaurant closures and the like. But somehow we we all stuck together and really pulled through. And I would say in many ways, it's made the people in the Vancouver Island hospitality industry, especially in the bar community, uh, a lot closer. And it's it's really awesome to see that. Mm -hmm. And did you grow up on the island? I didn't. Uh, I was born in Calgary. And then when I was about seven, I moved to BC and I've lived over all over basically the lower mainland. And then I moved to Vancouver Island in 2014. Okay. And so you started your career more back of house, right? Doing the cooking side of it, right? So what was your first job? My first job cooking was actually before I went to culinary school. Uh, there used to be this little cafe in uh, downtown Vancouver called Bonchas. And it basically it was a cafe where they their thing was basically doing like steam buns, but also 
they were all filled with like matcha custards and like chocolate and all these different flavors. And so I started there learning about making food and learning how to be a cashier. And then I, yeah, from there, I basically decided that I wanted to continue seriously with culinary arts. And I went to Vancouver Community College. They have a great culinary program there. And I finished my education in culinary at Kamosin here on the island. And I'm a Red Seal certified chef. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that's a lot of school and takes some doing to do that. So having done that for a while, what made you decide that you wanted to move then uh, to the front of the side, front of the house? Well, when I was in culinary school, I was also taking the WSET program and went all the way up to level three. I do have to retake level three. I will get to it. I, I swear I will get <laughs> it's to it. It's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. And I found it really, really interesting just how how in-depth wine is. And so I also thought it was really integral to have that knowledge when going into culinary. So I had a better understanding of the relationship between wine and food and, and just flavors and how, you know, wine both enhances food and is also enhanced by the food. And yeah, like all that is just so important. So having that background knowledge while going through being a chef and being a cook, I basically ended up hitting a roadblock in the last year that I was cooking where I was not doing very well mentally. Uh, the long hours, you know, I I worked with some people who were didn't necessarily treat everybody very well. And so I finally made the decision, you know, I just I can't do this anymore. If I'm going if I continue on with this, it might very well be the end of me. And so I decided to make the switch and go into front of house. I ended up working at Pagliacci's at my first bartending job. And I worked with uh, Sean Sewell and Solomon Siegel. And I learned a lot from both of them. And it was very, I think, integral working there. It really gave me the chuspa for doing it for bartending. So it was really good. Yes. Um, Sean, Sean Sewell is a former uh, guest of the show. That's correct. You can check that out in the yeah, archives. Yeah. More plugging, more plugging. Yes. Out of curiosity, was it? Do you find it a difficult transition going from the back house to the front house in terms of being like a people person, or were you already a good people person at that point already? Anyways, I've always been a bit of a social butterfly, and so making the transition wasn't too difficult in terms of you know learning the different sets of social skills as a bartender and. And, you know, having to greet people and be the host, basically, the entire time that you're on the floor. I mean, in the beginning, I would say it was a little bit difficult only because it was something new and something fun and challenging to learn. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I love hosting people anyway. I've always loved having people over to my house and, you know, making insane amounts of food for them and making sure that they're well taken care of. So yes and no. <laughs> long, long story short. <laughs> when you were talking about um, sort of having a bit of a negative experience in some of these kitchens, is this kind of like just the old fucking boys network of kitchens where people like Gordon Ramsay style shouting at you for no reason, throwing shit? Is that what we're talking about? Or can you be more specific? I have worked in kitchens where I have worked for somebody who had an anger problem and they would throw things. That wasn't necessarily the case in this uh, particular kitchen it was more just like yeah a bit of a boys club the gaslighting the through my entire career i've had all different sorts of ex negative experiences in kitchens uh sexual abuse bullying harassment gaslighting as i said you know you you name the issue it probably happened to me <laughs> 
That's crazy. Um, like, and, and if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I am. How old am I? Oh, I'm 29. Yeah. So for like someone of your age to still be going through that shit is like mind blowing to me because like I'm a lot older. So I kind of feel like I, I mean, I grew up in that era of like that shit happening all the time, but you, you're kind of hoping that with every generation that goes by, it sort of stops. But I guess just because you're young working in the kitchen doesn't mean the people you're working with are. Exactly. And I mean, I am starting to see a bit more of a an attitude change in kitchens. That sort of behavior isn't tolerated as much anymore. You know, working in places where you have an HR department is really amazing because they have your back and they make sure that you're taken care of as well. But yeah, just in in, in general, I'm seeing a change of thought process happening in in hospitality in general. Yeah, like like I said, that sort of behavior isn't tolerated and it never should be tolerated. And I think now there's actual change to make sure people are okay and want to come to work and are safe physically Mm -hmm. and mentally and emotionally. Yeah. I feel like it's getting better again. Like every generation that goes by, it's like people are a little bit more cognizant of those types of things. I think it's just the way we're taught now, as opposed to years ago, not that it was ever okay, obviously, but just ignorance. A lot of the times as well, like it was how like you would watch people would watch like I remember chefs like just in places that I work and it's almost that that was the culture like that's how you treated people right like Mm. and and it trickles down so then your sous chef's like that well then the sous chef's going to be the chef at the next spot right so and it trickles down did you find now when you decide to come out to uh the bartending side of things how did you find the culture there significantly different or any crossover with regards to abuse Hmm. um I think that because with being a bartender, you're in the in the public eye all the time that, you know, I've definitely had some situations where people were still inappropriate or were not being very supportive. But on the whole, I would say that it has been a lot more positive. The people that I've worked with, uh, the people that I've met in this industry, they're all generally pretty happy and enjoy what they do. And so not to say that the people that I worked with before in kitchens weren't happy and didn't enjoy what they do. But I think because bartending can be so fun, it's kind of difficult to have a shit attitude about things, you know? Whereas when you're cooking in a kitchen, it's hot, you're sweaty, you're tired, you're you're working like 12 to 16 hours in some places and it, the pressure can be a lot. And so it just, it ends up happening more because people are on their last last rope, they snap, it happens. And I mean, not to say that it doesn't happen in, in front of house and in bartending, but I, I don't see it happen as much, I, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe you were going here with it as well. It's like when you're on display all the time, there, <clears throat> when you're in the front of the house, like you're behind the bar, you're at the tables, whatever, it's a lot harder mm-hmm. for someone to freak out on you because the guests yeah. are always around, right? So maybe that's what stopped a lot of it, which is great, but whatever the reason is, is fine. But like, uh, it's basically the culture needs to change as well. And bring it back to what you're talking about, like those long hours that you're working in <clears throat> shitty conditions. Like I, I, I'm curious, like, what do you think we can do about that? Because like, I don't see uh, easy, an easy solution. I mean, I guess you could force people to not work overtime, but mostly people want to work overtime. And yeah. Yeah. And like the, like if you're working in a busy restaurant where there's lunch service and then there's dinner service, how do you avoid working these long shifts? Well, like you said, it's not a very easy answer to come by. I mean, I think it's all situational and it depends on what type of restaurant you're working at. 
Mm-hmm. So like if you're working at like a, say a Michelin level restaurant, it's almost expected that you need to be working long hours in order to achieve perfection or as close to perfection as what your chef is looking for and what the restaurant stands for. Right. Whereas, you know, there are some restaurants that are like mom and pop restaurants or smaller restaurants and, you know, they might not necessarily be open as long of hours. And so there isn't necessarily as much to do. And so the, the, the shift ends up being shorter. I mean, hiring appropriately and being able to keep your employees happy and again, healthy, like mentally, emotionally, and are taken care of, uh, in the restaurant, um, I think is, it speaks volumes in order to make the restaurant function properly and also maintain the balance of someone being able to have a life and not work 12 hours, six days a week. Right. Um, so I, like you said, it's a difficult question to ask or to answer, but I think the most important thing is making sure that the work environment is healthy for the people working there. And, you know, everybody's taking care of each other and ownership or management is making sure that the employees are well taken care of. And therefore the employees will also take care of the business. Right. It's uh, We also come from in the culture of the service industry as well, especially in the back of house. Like as long as I've been involved in it, there's like these chefs almost wear it as a badge of honor of how many hours they worked in a week like it's like oh i worked 70 hour a week i'm like well that sounds fucking awful why would you want to do that <laughs> it's, almost like, it's almost like trump used to brag about how he only sleeps three hours a night i'm like yeah buddy it shows like <laughs> um but so I, yeah it'd be it's something to think about and work on and but uh in the future is like try to cut back some of these hours maybe it's hiring more people and with shorter shifts or whatever but we also need to change the mentality where it's like not something you brag about anymore right exactly and that's that's something i remember hearing all the time and also like you know you were expected to come into work early and you know maybe not get paid for that time that you come in before your shift and you also stay later than your scheduled shift time and again you might not necessarily be getting paid for that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I think he hit the nail on the head. It's it's a, a change of mentality and a way of thinking. And uh it's I think it's starting to change. I'm I'm seeing some changes and some more positivity in kitchens, and it's really, really good to see. Awesome. Well, that's good. That was we need it. Uh so when you decide to go out to the front of the house, you're now being mentored by Sean. Sean's a lovely dude. Like I actually did go to What's this place called now uh, that he works at? Clives. Clives, yes. We went and hung out there when I was out there, saw him briefly, and he seems to be doing well. He had just gotten back from like cognac to, <laughs> he's yes. doing like special courses in there. So what do you feel like he taught you, like you specifically learned from him when you were making your transition to bartending? You know, he, well, he basically taught me all the skills that I needed for bartending. I had also gone through a a program called Nimble uh, during the time that I was working there, but I had also started working on the bar already for about three months before doing that course. And so it was like, ah, this feels like a review. This is good. It's boosting my, my, uh, my reassurance in myself that I actually know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is awesome. But I also learned about, you know, ordering stock for the bar and organization and recipe building and learning about spirits in general, you know, Sean and Solomon both are both wells of knowledge. And so I was very thankful to be able to spend that time there and, you know, really get a kick in the ass into getting into bartending. The other fun thing about working at Pegs is that it's this 
very small bar that uh, really only fits one person. And it was hilarious when Sean and I would work behind that bar together on a busy Friday or Saturday night. And we're both just like trying to figure out how to move around each other. So um, Sounds a big I man. would say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say that's also something else that he taught me is uh, spatial awareness and learning how to, you know, move around each other. But I mean, that was also something that I had learned in the kitchen and, these were all skills in bartending that were quite relevant to some of the stuff that I had learned in the kitchen. It was just about, you know, how to, how to place it elsewhere and yeah. how, how to make it fit into the the bartending box. You know? Well, I'm glad um, you brought that up. Cause like so many people we've talked to and so many of the great bartenders that I personally know have a culinary background. Why do you think that is? Well, you make more money, you work less. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I meant, yes, for sure. I meant more like, why do you think, like, what are, what is it about like having the culinary background that leads to you to be a better bartender? Well, definitely the ability to taste and pairing flavors, I would say is number one, as well as um, the ability to multitask and uh time management and yeah uh prep there's mm, prep so many too, skills yeah. in culinary that all cross over to bartending that are so integral and you know absolutely nothing against any bartender who's never had a culinary background but there are some bartenders out there where you watch them work and you watch how they how they do things and you're like wow it really shows that there's it's just like a different type of bartender mm-hmm. like i pride myself and i know uh, some bartenders as well who also have a culinary background and you know we we pride ourselves on you know being able to manage our time well and to be able to do multiple things at a time and people are like wow it looks like you're doing a million things right now it's like yeah but you know i'm just managing my time and making sure that everything is happening so i'm using my time well you know um and that means that i can do more in my day more in my service i can do more for the restaurant for a guest for my coworkers um, because of that. And it just makes it more fun being able to be organized. So I think, yeah, all the skills that you learn in a kitchen are like absolutely transferable to bartending. And I think, you know, sometimes you just get, you get tired of working the long hours and just being stressed all of the time. And it's, you know, it's just time to make a change. I, I, I know that's how I felt when I made the change. I'm sure that's how a lot of, former chefs now bartenders have felt as well yeah the flavor profiling is a big deal too right like as you mentioned at the beginning there was like i certainly feel like well i'm at a, just out of practice now but like when i first started doing craft cocktailing i thought i was pretty good at it but then you run into people who started in the kitchen when i didn't have that background training and you just like how much you're just like starting on third base almost because you have the whole idea of like how flavors go together from your work in the kitchen. Right. It's like, a, like I, I really think it's a huge advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I like to think of making cocktails as like making a stock where you're using all these ingredients to make up your basis of where your flavors are going. And if you think if, what I find when I think about cocktails like that, it ends up adding more dimensions to the cocktail and you end up going through like different phases of different flavors. And it just, it makes the cocktail so much better. That's, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, I, I do really think it is a big advantage when it comes to, to that, when you start in the, when you start into the cocktail. And I've also noticed that the way we are keep pushing this craft cocktailing more and more forward, 
like the people who are doing it the best, almost all of what they're doing is like essentially cooking, right? Mm -hmm. It's like how you're making cocktails now and like all the prep work you're doing before that. um, You're doing a lot of the work in like a quote unquote lab, but it's like a kitchen basically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. So, okay. So you, uh, sorry, what was the name of the bar that you, the first bar you worked at? Uh, Pagliacci's. It's Pagliacci. a uh, fa- family owned restaurant in downtown Victoria. It's been around for like over 40 years. Ooh. And how long did you bartend there? Uh, I think I was there for just over a year. And then I decided to move on to a bar called Veneto which I was really excited about working there. It's in the Hotel Rialto. Unfortunately, COVID claimed Veneto. Right when COVID happened, it got shut down and new management came in and leased the space and changed it into a different restaurant uh, altogether. So I was very sad because I only got to work at Veneto full-time for about a month and it broke my heart. (laughs) That that sucks, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you, is that when you went to Windcries Mary after that? So after that, during COVID, because nobody in hospitality was working, everybody went on CERB, uh, there is actually a liquor store in the Hotel Rialto called Vintage. And so I decided to go and work there because A, I didn't want to not work and B, I didn't want to be bored all the time. And C, probably the most important reason is that I wanted to learn more about spirits and wine and beer. And so I felt that um, being at the liquor store and learning from Nathan Merrilies, who is the the guy running the store, I thought that was super important to me to make sure that, you know, I'm not just going to hang out and and enjoy the sun and, you know, go to the beach every day, even though that's exactly what I wanted to do. (laughs) Like all my other friends. But I wanted to make sure that I was keeping my education up while all this stuff was happening. Right. So, yeah. I, I was mentioning to you before we started recording that I have been to Windcries Mary, and I think that their cocktail program is amazing. How involved were you in cocktail creation there? Quite involved. At one point was, well, not at one point. When I was there, I was one of the main bartenders. When I had first started there, it was Clayton and Soren and a man named Baz, but he ended up leaving. Um, and it was the three of us at one point for months and we ended up hiring a couple other bartenders as well who are wonderful lovely people we had uh, a guy named matt and we have uh Bronwyn, uh on the bar we also hired uh, a guy named alex anyways i'm 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 all over the place anyways <laughs> i was quite involved in making the cocktails and helping uh make the program and yeah recipes everything i was also known as like the prep horse there I yeah. loved doing prep shifts there. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to like be a dial back to your cooking though, right? Like it's just sort of ingrained in you all that prep at this point. Yeah, exactly. I have, and it was just so fun just being able to prep and know that everything was set for service, especially during the summer where you're just like bulk prepping because we were so busy all the time. It was awesome. We got our asses handed to us every single service and it was so much fun well i don't feel like there's a whole lot of other bars like that at least i mean i i kind of did the the very quick tourist tour with my friend john and but like it's very unique in like the downtown victoria area that spot it's like very 
sort of eclectic and um got like a dark toronto montreal style vibe to it uh mm-hmm. and, yeah and like a straight cocktail lounge where a lot of but like what i found specifically and you can correct me if i'm wrong but in victoria it's so much about <laughs> craft breweries and brew pubs yeah definitely but it's it's also amazing because with the expansion of the Victoria hospitality scene, especially after COVID, there's been so much more. There's been like, there's always been craft cocktail bars, but now there's, again, there's more. We're, we're also opening up wine bars and, and specific themed things. And it, it, yeah, it's just, um, it's amazing that it isn't just like, Oh, I'll, I'll come in and I'll have a pint. And like, that's all those people are interested in trying new and different things. And so it's, yeah, it's super cool. Not to say that the craft breweries there aren't very good. They are very good. There is yeah. some great beer in Victoria. Yeah, but yeah. it's nice to see that there is some um, some more variety. Right. Yeah, I did drink a lot of good beer while I was there. But it was nice to, that there were still like some cocktail lounges to go to as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Since we're talking Victoria, maybe you can explain to our listeners the overbearing prevalence of the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the specific details about how it came about, but I know that it was created in a bar in Calgary and then it got brought to Victoria and it ended up being a huge, a huge thing. I think the bar in Victoria that it started at was Hugo's. It's a place that is no longer open. I also am not really sure why people love uh, shafts so much, but it is what everybody drinks when they go out because they want to be awake and they want to get drunk. I prefer espresso martinis myself, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a whole, it almost feels like it's the very heartbeat of the drinking culture in Victoria sometimes just because of how often it is drunk. Oh, yeah. What it's insane. <laughs> okay, so explain to our listeners what the shaft is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, Basically, when you get the shaft, I'm thinking, what's this? My daily, this is like my daily job. I, I get the shaft. So, so now I want to hear what this drinking shaft is. <laughs> so, so think of an espresso martini, but with the addition of cream liqueur. So it's vodka, coffee liqueur, cream liqueur, and usually like cold brew or espresso oh, okay. or something like that. So, yeah, it's. It's, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it, it, it's the early, it's the early 2000s version of the Red Bull and Jaeger. Though. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's like, right. <laughs> and like every bar serves it. But the one thing oh, I do really? like about it is that every bar sort of has their own unique play on it. Yes. Um, well, it's it's funny that you say that because right now at uh, the Lake House, we have three different shafts on the menu. Oh, really? <laughs> we, have, um, we have a regular shaft. We have an old-fashioned donut-infused uh, shaft. Ooh. And we have a vegan shaft. Oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. They're Vegan they're all chef. pretty good. Yeah. So okay, yeah. So since you brought it up and well, again, we you gave us sort of a virtual tour. The restaurant there is beautiful. Talk to us about what you're doing at the lake house, what the cocktail program's like and what you like about it. Well, the location is beautiful. It's right on Shawnigan Lake at the end of the West Arm. And you know, it's been a long time since I've worked in a restaurant where everybody is just happy to be here and happy to be around each other and to, you know, work a busy shift where we're all running and we're, we're all supporting each other. It's amazing. Wind Cries Mary was very much so like that, but have, being here at the Lake House has been so positive for me. And I feel like it's a very positive place for everybody else that I work with. In terms of the cocktail program here, uh, basically... Just trying to bring fun cocktails 
to the Cowichan Valley, there's not a lot of cocktail bars up this way. And so for me, it's really fun because I feel like, I feel like I get to open everybody, not everybody's, but I feel like I get to open eyes to like what good cocktails can be. And it's not just like, you know, Lucky Lagers, Sourpuss, <laughs> Hypnotic, you know, like whatever. Um, we definitely have Lucky Lager. We have a lot of people who drink Lucky Lager and there is nothing wrong with a Lucky Lager. It is the champagne of beers other than Miller High Life. But anyways. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's just really fun for me because, yeah, like I said, it, it feels like I get to open the eyes up of the guests coming in and they get to experience something new when they come here. Yeah. In the summertime, we have a full margarita menu, all with Patron in it. And we try to have five or six margaritas for the whole season. We have a few cocktails that have been on the list basically since they opened here and they will never change. But we try to keep things um, interesting and, and different. We try to change the menu, I would say, probably three to four times in the year. That being said, I also only started here at the end of April last year. So still still filling out what the full, the full time here, what the full year looks like. But getting a pretty good sense of it now. Um, yeah. What would you describe, like... Shaggy in general, like what's this, what kind of a town is it? A smaller town? Like, is there are there lots of bars and restaurants to go to? What's the scene there? Uh, uh, Shawnigan is definitely a smaller town. Uh, in this area, there is us, and there's uh, a dive bar called the Black Swan. And yeah, in terms of Shawnigan, as it's, it's little, it's little town. Uh, that's pretty much it, other than like a subway and you know. There's a sushi place. There's like a couple other small restaurants, but like that's it in terms. Oh, and Marydale on the lake. There is a second Marydale location. So there's three places that you can go and check out. But there's also lots of uh, smaller towns surrounding Seanigan. There's Cobble Hill. There's Mill Bay. There's, yeah, there's lots of places around in those smaller towns, but they're a little bit further to get to. Um, so it's kind of like going on an adventure wherever you end up going in this area. Uh, what was I, what did I call? I, I didn't, I know I didn't say Seanigan. You think about Shawinigan probably. Uh, <laughs> I'll get it right. Uh, so people are mostly coming there for tourism, I guess. Like is like, Big like tourism spot. What, yeah, it was just like beautiful nature. Now, is it hard to find somewhere to live out there? Like say if you're moving out that way to work. Well, it wasn't difficult for myself and my husband we we basically were in the right place at the right time we've been wanting we had been wanting to move out of uh downtown victoria for a while we just started looking in the area in the country quote unquote and found the place where we are living now and yeah like i said it was right place right time we got in the market at the right time because everything absolutely skyrocketed in price (laughs) the housing market here is fucked yeah, <laughs> but in terms of, I don't know. There's, I always hear about people renting places in their houses or places going up for sale, and I don't think it's difficult to find a place up here. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like there has been a good amount of vacancy, availability, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, oh, it just depends cute. on what area you want to live in and how far do you want to drive and what part of the country do you want to live in. Yeah, yeah. How long, like, how long a drive is it from Victoria proper, like downtown Victoria? Depends on when you're leaving Victoria, but I would say from downtown Victoria to the restaurant here, it's about 45 minutes. Oh, that's nothing. Okay. I wasn't sure exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess the island's not that big in general, but when you, <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, well, that is great, Raven. Now, tell us, tell our listeners where they can follow you on Instagram to check out what you're up to and maybe what the restaurants, uh, what the lake house uh, information is as well. So they can follow along and when they're in the area, come see you. Yeah, so the restaurant's called The Lake House. You can follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at The Lake House at Shawnigan. Um, and my personal uh, Instagram is Rad Hospitality Merc. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks very much, Raven. We really appreciate you coming on with us, and especially when you're, you're actually physically at work. So thank you very much. And uh, best of luck. Uh, enjoy a shaft tonight on us when you're done. <laughs> and, very good. Uh, Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks a ton. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. 